Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us on Disrupt TV. My name is Vala Afshar, I'm the Chief Digital Evangelist at Salesforce and your co-host uh, for the next hour. Disrupt TV is a weekly show where we learn from some of the best and brightest executives on topics of leadership, business, technology, innovation, and industry trends. We welcome you to follow us on Twitter at Disrupt TV Show. Send Ray, myself, and our distinguished guest your questions on Twitter using hashtag Disrupt TV. We've also interviewed a few hundred uh, business leaders, so check out our video and podcast on Vimeo and SoundCloud and iTunes. It's my pleasure to introduce my co-host. He's the founder and CEO of Constellation Research. He's the best-selling author of Disrupting Digital Business. He's a regular contributor to Harvard Business Review and other major publications, including ZDNet. And in my humble opinion, one of the best futurists to follow on Twitter, at R-W-A-N-G-0. Welcome, Ray, to Disrupt TV. Hey, thanks a lot. And I'm here with my co-host, Bala Ashtar. He's being super modest as always. He's one of the number one followers for CIOs and CMOs in the enterprise. And you can actually track him down at V-A-L-A-A-F-S-H-A-R. Also one of the top bloggers in the industry and more importantly, a thought leader and author himself. But we're not here to talk about us. We're here to talk about what is going on with the number one issue, the number one issue of every board, every company, every executive in the world. Let's hit up on that. Who do we have first? It's our privilege to start the show, our cybersecurity themed show with Phil Dunkelberger, president and CEO of Knock Knock Labs. And we're going to learn about the name Knock Knock and the origins of it. Phil has broad experience resulting from more than 30 years in technology. Prior to leading Knock Knock Labs, Phil served uh, for eight years as co-founder and CEO of PGP Corporation, the leader in enterprise data protection market until acquired by Symantec in 2010. Phil has significant experience in SaaS infrastructure, enterprise software, having served as entrepreneur resident at Dahl Capital Management, president and CEO of Embark, and COO of Vantive Corporation. Phil is a founding board member of the Cybersecurity Industry Alliance, CSIA, and is chairman emeritus of Tech America's CXO Council. Welcome, Phil, to Disrupt TV. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you. Hey, and that's not your bio short. Phil's done a lot. We <laughs> <laughs> only have 20 minutes. <laughs> yeah, we get, we get to the meat of it. So Phil, often known as Dunk. Dunk, what are the current trends? What's going on with authentication, biometrics? The whole world's going crazy on this. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a very frothy place right now. Um, you know, usernames and passwords have been around for 50 years. They, they fundamentally have been the way we've always looked at end user authentication. And there's a couple of trends really driving um, the fact that usernames and passwords are a bane of most people's existence. Uh, usability has become more and, and more iffy as, as screen size has gotten smaller. Typing on a, a smartphone is really tough. Um, you've got the whole advent of biometrics being widely distributed yep. when Apple uh, put it on the iPhone. Uh, and you've got the trend of just ease of use. People just want to get in, get out, get on with their lives. That's the number one trend driving it is how do we make banking, how do we make finding our insurance forms, you know, doing mortgages, how do we do these things easier, better? This flip side of that is the very serious side of what we're talking about today is security. Uh, you've got the issues of security globally. Um, that trend is being driven by more and more of the data breach. Uh, let's call it just a data breach culture now. <laughs> we have a culture of data breaches. You know, it used to be, uh, you know, just something that was, we hoped didn't happen. Now it's just a, a cultural part of what we do. Uh, and that fundamentally is driving the second piece of it is what do we do to secure people when they come online to do business 
uh, or to buy things or just to peruse the internet. Are you saying data breaches are no longer a social faux pas? Is that what you're saying? Uh, <laughs> it's just I, commonplace, like, oh, I got another yeah, data breach. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's interesting because it used to be uh, back in the mid-2000s when the data breach law started to come into effect out of California, you know, Senate Bill 1386, it said, hey, protect people's data and yep. notify them, you know, notify them if you've, you've lost their information. Data is currency and it's become big currency. You know, it's become a big, big issue. And there's no, you know, there's no simple way of, of solving that problem. But the problem has become so big and so valuable and so highly sought after that I think it's really become a cultural phenomenon, not just a, not just a faux pas. It's, 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 you know, one thing to talk about authentication and, and tell stories and show slides. It's another to actually make it so that, you know, I'm on a laptop talking to you. I've got my, my tablet here. I've got my phone here. You know, uh, Raves probably has a watch and probably the advanced uh, Google uh, contact lenses is where he's recording through his eye right now. <laughs> All this mobility, this, this age of the connected customer, where you're no longer tethered to a desk, you're not protected inside of a business. How much is that influencing and why is it that passwords are no longer really a reliant uh, means of authentication? Well, you guys just get a great job of pictorially showing the issue. It's the proliferation of devices. Yeah. It's the fact that the idea of a perimeter that we used to have, there's a number of people who would argue that authentication and identity is becoming the new perimeter. Mm -hmm. uh, because ultimately you wanna know, and you've always wanted to know who's on your network, who's coming right. in, what services they're looking for, what goods and services are they trying to, to procure. And you wanna know who that person is. You know, fundamentally today, we, we look at things through a whole lens of implied information about you, where you are, what your device is. It's the same device that Phil Dunkelberger always logs in with. Is he doing the same times of transactions he's always done? That's a back-end way of doing it versus an explicit way of doing it. How can we really know who's there? And you, the alliteration of the name knock-knock, when I say knock-knock to you guys, what do you say back? <laughs> who's there, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So when we first, you know, came out of stealth, people would say, Dunk, what was this thing about the name? And I said, we, we looked at like a thousand names. And it just kept coming up on the, on the when circulation of, that's really what we're trying to do is give an explicit expression of who's at the endpoint with the device that's on your network. Super smart. That is awesome. <laughs> so, so biometrics are hot now. So everyone's like, oh, you know, multi-factor authentication. Let's do a thumbprint. Let's look at retinal scan. Let's do facial. I mean, it's all popping in there. But this is like going crazy. What happens if your biometrics are hacked and you can't produce the other piece on your multi-factor authentication? Where are we at to the point? point? Yeah, it's really gotten to the point of of being. Um, fundamentally, you, you want to be able to, to do something uh, relatively simply for the user. And it's gone crazy because uh, the users are really demanding more and more capability. Um, I tend to look at the internet today as people and devices looking for services, not consumers, not enterprise users, so just people looking for services. And you've got a mix of those people on any size network in the world. So given that, it's gone crazy that biometrics now can be used and other things. Why not we build something that makes it easy to plug those things in? That makes that makes. Uh, what are some of the trends that you're uh, you're seeing in terms of enterprise uh, interest and adoption of emerging technologies? And what is your relationship with Fido? 
two answers to that. First, we'll do the, the, the relationship to FIDO. Let me inverse, inverse the question. Sure. We were the original Ramesh Kansapali, who's our founder at Knock Knock, is also the founder and visionary behind FIDO. And uh, he, along with Tahir El-Gamal, uh, currently at Salesforce, and Michael Barrett yep. of, of PayPal, they came out with this idea of what could we do if we had a simple plug and play for mm -hmm. all the things that Ray talked about, all these future ways, your heartbeat rhythms, your um, how you're holding your phone, et cetera. How do you take existing things like plugging in tokens? How do you take all those different ways we try to authenticate at endpoints and make it one standard, essentially plug and play protocol? We invented it, we set up the FIDO Alliance, we invited people to join. Um, today, there's over you know, 300 companies and more than 400 companies that have contributed to the spec. And just recently, it was announced that the W3C, the governing body of the browser, will now put FIDO into the browser. So literally FIDO for everyone. And the corollary I've always used is what SSL did for e-commerce, FIDO is a standard industry protocol can do for strong authentication. So related to that, then, uh, where does blockchain fit into all this? Is that going to be a place where you're going to see a lot of expansion into this? Um, or is it going to be a place that um, blockchain protocols will take advantage of what's happening there and maybe in web auth end? Well, back to your point about that, I think that as we know, there is, there's no good guy, bad guy laying on the internet. <laughs> you, all enter, you all enter and exit the internet the same way. Protocols are standard the way you've got to authenticate. Everything authenticates. So if you're going to have a blockchain session, blockchain has tended to grow out of uh, very much a homogeneous environments where you know who is in the blockchain right. who's defending it. As you try to make that a heterogeneous technology, you're going to want to add strong authentication and other methods of defense in depth. So fundamentally, I think that blockchain, um, we've already done a number of things around FIDO and blockchain, FIDO and IoT. Uh, we've been working we're on our fifth generation of our, our current server product for FIDO and uh, deploying it to the customers back to trends. More and more customers are being driven by two key things globally. One is uh, regulation like GDPR and PSD2 coming out of Europe, uh, stronger privacy uh, uh, legislation coming out of Asia. So the coupling of ease of use and then the trend of more people having to be essentially uh, you know, compliant uh, with regulations is really driving the trend to look for something more modern than the old idea of usernames and passwords or very expensive tokens that you plug in at the endpoint. I was watching the Google I.O. conference and as they were demonstrating the, the, the virtual assistant um, talking to a human and it was hard to tell which was the machine, which was the human. So you listen, you're watching these advancements of machine learning, natural language processing, deep learning. And what comes to my mind is, you know, how will AI technologies impact and create a far more sophisticated cyber attack vector? And what companies need to do to really understand that the trend may be far more complicated, sophisticated ways to to, to get, into, uh, get into a company or, 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 I, or uh, uh, you know, atta attack an individual. What are your thoughts in terms of the emerging uh, technologies like AI and its impact on cybersecurity? Well, I think it, great question from the standpoint of the future looking. AI has been around a really long time, as we all know. The, the idea of, uh, of FIDO itself and what we did at Knock Knock is we actually started building from a platform of what do you do about future threats? How can a protocol also minimize that? And the idea of strong authentication 
has got to be baked in at the beginning of the technology. Um, AI gives you a tremendous advantage on defense. It also gives you a tremendous advantage on offense. The real separation is going to be, um, if you think of authentication and, and authorization as really signals, is how do you get weed and chaff? How do you get the proper signal? You know, is this Phil Dunkelberger, the same Phil Dunkelberger, same device, same behaviors, same authentication methods? Can I step that up if I doubt that's him before he enters the network? Can I lock that off before the device enters the network? Can I say things like, do you have, FIDO is based on public key cryptography Mm -hmm. challenges. So it's deeply rooted in the best stuff we know how to do to defend a network and individuals. So underneath the covers, that's what it's based on. Have I seen this device before? Is this something masquerading? And if I don't like the signals I'm getting, can I step up and query it? Can I query the device? Can I query the, the person that's there before I let them have access to deep parts of the network or deep sensitive information they shouldn't have? Wow. This makes a lot of sense, especially when we're looking at authentication, SIPA, all the standards that the ECB put in as well. I think that was part of uh, when that occurred uh, that you're talking about. Let's talk a little bit about the startup scene. Um, you know, you've been in the Valley for quite some time. You've been in different organizations. You've seen what's going on. Um, has things changed? What's going on in the Valley over the last three to five years that would say maybe the startup environment, something has shifted? I think you've got to separate that by industry, region, and even what they're trying to fix. Um, I I think there's people that are trying to fix certain, I'll call them feature attributes, that existing Mm -hmm. technologies today or existing big customers need additional capability that maybe their R&D and teams can't actually go and address. So some startups are really adept at doing that. And you see many of them being bought very quickly because they add very good value to existing platforms. I think other things are, can we solve big problems? I mean, we describe what we're trying to do with FIDO when I went and raised money for this, is could we plug a hole in the internet? Yep. That there's a massive hole for authentication in the internet. Could we be a company along with a bunch of other people that got together and did a good thing for industry? That in and of itself, if you take it to security, since this is a cybersecurity segment, a lot of people that have invested big money in cybersecurity, I think, have oh, yeah. really misunderstood the fact that people don't change their cyber profiles overnight. Unless you've had a breach, you've had a, a major problem, you're not going to go shift budgeting dollars to some new technology. You can't afford to. If stuff is sort of work for you, you know, bad breath is better than no breath, is the old saying. <laughs> you know, and, you know, we got data as currency, we got all these things people are trying to do you then are going to have to sandbox. And unfortunately in the security space, you know, one, oh crap, undoes a thousand attaboys. You know, you can be plu perfect in security for a really long time and then have a major breach. And all of a sudden everybody's online of, hey, weren't you guys, you know, doing your job asleep as a switch, et cetera. So I think the security space from a venture investment business is dramatic, but it's not for the faint of heart. It takes a long time to build solutions that can be deployed at scale. And deployment at scale is really the critical piece because the days of just doing departmental stuff or enterprise stuff even is now gone the way. Can you do it on the internet? Yeah. Wow. Phil, two questions. Uh, have you found that security has become more of a boardroom topic? It's beyond just IT. And second, where do you recruit for talent? How hard is it to recruit and where do you recruit for talent? Uh, great question on both. Um, In Europe, a lot of what the GDPR came out of was the fact that in many European countries, the CISOs do not just report to a CIO 
in a, in a direct level. They support outside up to the board of directors. Um, I just had a breakfast at RSA uh, two weeks ago with a, one of the preeminent CISOs in the Valley and probably in the United States and maybe in the world. And his point was he finally got their CEO to agree, public company, to start putting their profiles reporting to the board of directors directly about their cybersecurity posture. So I think it's a cultural issue. Mm-hmm. I think it's a, a regulation issue. But best practices are driving more and more people to board level. Um, when you have these breaches and you see the amount of damage it does, mm-hmm. if you look at the, you know, what happened at Equifax most mm-hmm. recently, sure. those things are just, they're part and parcel. They've been going on around the world. In Japan for years, if you had a data breach, um, you resigned as the CEO. I mean, it was oh, just, that's what you were down. expected to do under the Japanese privacy laws. So I think it's both a regional and cultural piece. And then I think, uh, you know, to the second question is, we've always... We got a little. Uh, say, if you wanted to be, uh, if you wanted to be promoted in the IT organization, you had to go do a stint on the cybersecurity team, and I think that that was a great idea. To how do we home grow? How do we get the university and employment, and and those kind of things? If we can sponsor that, but it's really tough to get talent. We get talent from all over the world. We do development all over the world. We do our core design in the United States, but our core developers and developer network are security specialists from all over the world. Now, is there a certification that, 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 that's universally accepted as a foundational element to be part of the you know, cybersecurity team? Uh, there, there are several that you can do. They're both uh, things like FIDO has a certification program for the technology as an example. So there's industry certs. Yeah. There's things like the CISSP certification. There's yeah. things like ongoing education for IFC squared. If you go over to Royal Holloway in the UK, mm-hmm. they have a master's certificate and are working mm-hmm. on PhD level. Wow. Most of the people in the FTSE, for instance, uh, of the FTSE 100, most of the people that are CISOs there are graduates from Fred's program at Royal Holloway. So these are things that people see a need for and are building entire programs around, but we still suffer dramatically from a lack of talent, both on the code side, on the crypto side, you know, you bring up blockchain, not everybody's good at crypto. It's one thing to be good at math. It's another thing to be good at applying the math (laughs) and applied crypto is really hard in some cases from a, from a usability and, and security standpoint. Well, hey, we're, we're definitely seeing lots of clients uh, look at you guys on digital payments, on IoT, on FIDO, on uh, compliance and, and passwordless authentication. Lots of big things that are happening there. Um, I want to take time to say, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Uh, this has been really awesome trying to understand what's going on. We're here with Phil Dunkenberger. Uh, you can reach him at uh, Knock Knock Labs on Twitter. And more important, he's just known as industry as Dunk. Thank you so much for being on the show and uh, happy Friday. Ray Valo, thank you so much. Hope you guys have a great weekend. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Wow. Fascinating, Ray. And it's true, you know, most, uh, you know, security, it is is a board discussion. Uh, You can't just rely on, you know, uh, delegating it to IT and not being aware of, uh, you know, your your roadmap towards becoming a more scalable, secure business. So, um, and it's continues to be, you know, near the top of the budget in terms of, talent and investments in technology um, yeah this is the number one issue i mean everywhere we go it goes security 
Well, actually, no, it goes internet access, security. Wait, what's yeah, the yeah. math hierarchy? But it, it, it's, it's security. Everyone's trying to figure out what to do, especially given how uh, everything is set up. So, so we're definitely in, in one of those kind of situations. Where I just, mean, you're, you're, it's, it's an element of having foundational excellence before you can go look at things like IoT and blockchain, all the other cool stuff. <laughs> Uh, has a very strong dependency on having foundational excellence in terms of your infrastructure. Um, and so we're going to continue our conversation with our second guest. Uh, we're privileged to have Stina Arasbard, CEO and founder of Ubico, as our next guest. Stina is a visionary IT entrepreneur with proven track record of creating and bringing new technology innovations to global markets. Stina co-created YubiKey, uh, invented YubiKey, uh, and the FIDO U2F uh, open authentication standard to enable a safer internet for everyone. Um, so fast identity online, universal two-factor authentication, all these acronyms. I gotta make sure our audience <laughs> can keep up with us. Uh, the company's technology secures access to computer service, online services for nine of the top 10 internet brands. And we'll learn about those as we go along, including Google, Facebook, Salesforce, <laughs> and is loved by millions of users in 160 countries. I love saying Salesforce. Stina is a speaker on internet identity security, entrepreneurship, recognized with numerous international awards and regularly featured in leading tech media. Welcome, Stina, to Disrupt TV. Thank you so much. Hey, welcome, welcome. Happy Friday in the Valley. Uh, I understand you're in Palo Alto. I want to talk a little bit about Ubico. What, what were you trying to solve? What were this business problem? What inspired you to say, we got to go solve this and plug this hole and be part of FIDO? So. Uh, okay. So um, I am such a big fan of the internet. The first time I logged into the internet, I think I had my first spiritual experience. <laughs> literally, I mean, I, was, I grew up in a family that had, had, had no religion. But here was this place where we're all connected, sharing information. It's sort of like God, isn't it? I mean, in my world, it was like God. So um, then <laughs> I learned that this fantastic place is not secure. And I learned in the real way. Uh, the first time I registered to my online bank, they said that um, my username and my password and a software application I downloaded on my computer would be you know, would keep my account safe. I happened to know a white hat hacker who said it would take him one day to write the code that would log into and steal my money. Wow. Uh, <laughs> so hands on uh, to tell the bank about, you know, this risk and ask them what we're going to do about it. I called them up, the, the customer service, and I got a very clear response on the other side of the line. Can you please tell your friend to not do that? <laughs> oh, wow. What I didn't tell the bank is that uh, the former white and hacker is also my husband and the, <laughs> and the father of my three kids. Wow. <laughs> and, and he knew that any software, independent if it's downloaded on a computer or phone, is vulnerable for hackers. He knew we need to make a hardware key. That was the only thing that would solve this problem. Um, so we came up together. I'm a product designer, that was my background. He was this, not only this brilliant 
white hat hacker. He never did anything criminal. And if he did, I wouldn't be able to tell the story. <laughs> uh, uh, we worked together. She wouldn't be on the show. She'd be like broadcasting live from like El Salvador or something. <laughs> so <laughs> embassy in some other country. <laughs> you know, I don't have my UB key. I'm sorry. Yeah, we came up with this little key, the security key called UB key. And it's really easy to use. You just plug it into the computer and you touch it. And it doesn't need any drivers, no client software. The limitation what we had was that it could only work with one centralized service. So we come up with a concept that is now revolutionizing the whole internet authentication. We come up with the concept of having one single key to any number of services with no shared secrets. We approached Google with these ideas. And at the time, Google were planning to deploy smart cards because they had, they're seeing phishing attacks on on uh, with SMS, with mobile push apps, and, 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 and other OTP tokens. And yep. the only thing at the time that actually secured 100% against the modern man in the middle attacks and, and f advanced phishing was smart cards. But smart cards are really difficult and clunky to deploy. They need readers and client software. Um, and so we came up with, at the time, it wasn't FIDE or something, it was U2F, Universal Second Factor, and a key that would work with any number of services and was um, practically unfishable. And Google deployed this for all their staff, all their contractors, and since then they had zero account takeovers. They had 92% support reduction compared to their mobile phones because they give everyone two keys or three keys. That's very simple. You need to have a backup. Whatever backup you have, you have to have a secure backup. Uh, they also knew it always worked. YubiKeys never break. They're waterproof. They can be run over by a car. We even had one person <laughs> emailing me and said, um, my dog just ate my YubiKey. Please edit <laughs> So, so when I answered, I answered that support email. I said, if it's not a very small dog, you'll be okay. And he responded, <laughs> he responded uh, no, uh, like a couple of days later. <laughs> no, what, I found my UBK? <laughs> no animals or UBKs were harmed. It's a, isn't that a beautiful story? So that was the dog test. <laughs> now we've gone through FIP certification and all other kind of more you know, prominent tests. But, um, okay, so this all happened before FIDO. In parallel, uh, as you heard, uh, Knock Knock and others started FIDO. And Google started a conversation with PayPal on, you know, maybe these initiatives had something in common. Mm. So we were invited, the U2F protocol was invited to the FIDO Alliance. Um, and it was actually two working groups. And there's still multiple working groups in FIDO, yeah. just to be clear. <laughs> there it is. This was the the first one was named UAF, Universal Second Factor. That's the work that PayPal and Knock Knock and others were working on. They were more focused on biometrics and phones. Our, our focus was to get all the leading platforms and browsers to adopt what is more secure, hardware chips. <laughs> but the hardware chips will never scale <laughs> if they're not built into simple devices like YubiKey and eventually built into simple devices like computers and phones so that was and we didn't want any client we didn't want any driver we didn't want any other external service because mm -hmm. we want everything to just work seamlessly anytime you download anything on a computer or phone it comes to the risk of being malicious you don't want to do anything 
Sure. So after we were invited to Fido Alliance, uh, Google eventually launched their support in Gmail. And then we worked closely with Dropbox and GitHub and Facebook to also make support for U2F. And then this was the hard trick. How do you convince Microsoft? But Microsoft, when they saw the results of you know, what Google has accomplished, they actually came and said, hey, we like this, but we would like to continue to further develop uh, the U2F protocol to also allow a passwordless experience. And honestly, it was never, we don't care if it's a username or password or a PIN or a biometrics or geolocation or user behavior. We just cared about how do you get a secure hardware chip to work seamlessly with all computers, all phones, all browsers, all services. That was Ubico's focus. So now, <laughs> first we work closely with Google to develop U2F. Now we work closely with Microsoft to develop what is now called FIDO2. Today, all leading platforms and browsers are engaged in the standards work in two areas, both within FIDO and then within W3C. And from a user perspective, it's a little confusing because there's all these acronyms. <laughs> there's a FIDO UAF that Knock is working mainly on, and then there is FIDO U2F and FIDO2 that Google and Microsoft and Ubico has been working on, and then there is w the W3C and WebAuthn, it's called WebAuthn. This is the browser part where all the leading browsers are engaged in that has the FIDO2 things in it. And, and honestly, I have no idea what this standard's gonna be called in a couple of years. It's just very confusing. It's absolutely marketing disaster, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, yeah. It's, so, so with all these standards, can you get, take us on a path to the future expanding some of this to Internet of Things, future of payments. Uh, yeah, so Amazon joined a FIDO alliance some time ago and said, could this FIDO U2F protocols also be used without the touch? Because we have, we invented this idea that if you touch it, you're a real user behind the computer, not a trial. But what if you want a server to server to, to talk to each other? So there is a working group now um, focus on the IoT of the U2F protocol. Oh, yeah. uh, there is also Visa and MasterCard and others have joined and saying, hey, could this be used for pa payment in the browser? You know, the same technology, sort of a next generation EMB, uh, the, the pin and chip <laughs> that now is sort of translated into U2F 502, whatever the name is. Um, don't ask me what the name is. <laughs> it's just so confusing. Uh, uh, and then, um, uh, yes, we have conversation, close collaboration, because a lot of the people who've worked on the U2F and the FIDO2 specs have also been engaged in OpenID Connect. So how do you com combine OpenID Connect that is designed for single sign-on and identity right. with oh, strong authentication? And so those efforts are merging, and, and there's some really interesting conversation around how can you actually use the same device to not only authenticate, but encrypt user data. So users own and control their own attributes in a way that has been designed for OpenID Connect, but then can be merged with, with the FIDO2. I think FIDO2 is sort of the passwordless evolution of FIDO U2F, but is basically the same protocol. Ubico created most of the code together with Google and Microsoft, I would say, 95% of the code and protocol is, is these three companies' creations. Anyway, 
So I'm absolutely convinced that the U2F Fighter 2, whatever web author, whatever that's called, is going to be the most important sort of layer for our next generation security, for the next generation secure internet. It's going to be as important as SSL have been in the past. Because it's not only going to be natively integrated in all platforms and browsers right. and all devices, but will expand into IoT, into payment, into encryption. And it's designed, the way internet is designed, is designed to be distributed. It's mm -hmm. not designed for a centralized service. It's designed right. for users to own and control their own identity, their own attributes. And that's a really powerful thing because we don't no longer with this technology needs to trust the big sort of traditional trust models. Yeah. You can set up a secure link between your, um, your key, whatever form factor, you know, NFC or uh, USB or, you know, maybe integrated directly into your computer and the service you want to connect to. And you don't have to care if your computer has a lot of viruses or Trojans or malicious code, or you're sitting on a crappy Wi-Fi that has been exploited, or VPN, you know, all the kind of social end, you know, all the scary things that we believe is gonna be a problem for the internet. We can just say, you know what, we can actually not fix the internet. We cannot make the internet secure. But if we remove the important part, yeah. the little piece, the, our credentials and take it out from the computer, <laughs> take it out from the, the a multi-purpose chip, take it out from a multi-purpose computer, then it's as good as it gets. It's never going to be perfect security. But, so, this is, uh, yeah. so this is why it's so important for it to be in the hardware? Yes. So here, it's, it's, it, this is physics. Yeah. Um, in, in military, um, military people talk about attack surface. A big country with a lot of water and sky and, you know, has a lot of attack surface. <laughs> in industry security, if, if you're trying to do good security on a multipurpose computer or multipurpose device or even a multipurpose chip, I mean, we saw that now with the Intel uh, meltdown problem that was big oh, yeah. a few months ago. Yeah, Spectre and <laughs> Yes. Um, it's just really difficult. It's just really, really difficult. But if we say, so if we separate, we separate the, the secrets from the computer, from the phone, from, you know, whatever is big and difficult and, and, and just, and then encrypt it with the best possible encryption. And we're using public key crypto. That's the proven way to, to protect against man in the middle attack and, and, and phishing. And it's just, it it's also allows you to have a, a, a decentralized service. So there's not one centralized service of secrets that can be hacked. And we're using AES encryption. Um, it, it's sort of not rocket science, but the way that it actually now allows you to have one single key to any number of services without any shared secrets. That is the real revolution. And I'm gonna share with you an email I, I got a few days ago from a, and a journalist in a non-democratic country. He had set up his UBT with his Gmail account and then another kind of other sort of measures that to, to ensure he got good privacy. Right. He started the email by saying, thank you for saving my life. Wow. 
Oh. Some of his co-workers had not taken the same security and privacy measures and they're no longer alive. Wow. Wow. You know, this is related to a question we got earlier from uh, Rodrigo, who's often on our show. He asked a question that, you know, lots of folks are allowing things like BYOD or allowing other people to come in different devices and really not thinking about uh, the risks that are associated with it. I mean, journalists and, you know, that digital dictatorships, as, as I call them, um, are, are, are at a lot of risk. So um, how do people actually, I mean, there, there's, there's two levels on the security aspect. There's one is it's being very private for people that are trying to do good. And it's also being very private for folks that are being nefarious. Is there a line between these two? This is, this is the same kitchen problem we have with a kitchen knife. <laughs> <You can't laughs> Don't disagree. It's the individual. <laughs> and you can kill people with it. Uh, and I actually, it's usually yeah. a gun debate in the U.S., but that's okay. We'll go with a kitchen knife. Yeah. <laughs> so. I mean, um, and, and, you know, the whole conversation also around cryptocurrency is being used for bad things, but real money has also been used for bad things. <laughs> so... Um, so we'll just take the humans out of the equation and use yeah. AI, we'll be okay. <laughs> I think that we need to offer good security and good privacy to everyone. We've done that. We have fairly good security and privacy in our real lives. We offer big vaults that has, you know, very advanced keys that, you know, you have to physically get there and you have to have very advanced tooling to get into those systems. Um, they're not 100%. <laughs> so I think being able to offer the same in the, in, independent if you're a bad guy or a good guy, who, you know what, who can actually make the uh, judgment of the yes, call? the judgment, yeah. Even a good government, like we believe it's a good man, can turn into a bad government. We've seen a few of those in the yeah. history. <laughs> so I think it's really, really important that we just offer everyone good security and privacy. And, and then we put out regulations and rules to sort of mitigate and, and, and still be able to, to um, uh, you know, work against criminals. <laughs> I'm not saying <laughs> that, you know, like we shouldn't have a, a, a society where, where laws cannot come in and actually ask for information and try the best to, to get out information when it's hidden. Um, but um, we cannot decide who's a good guy or a bad guy. And so we need to get secure, good security and privacy to everyone. To everybody. You don't care who. Okay. My final question, Stina, and you, know, you're, you have an extraordinary company. You're an extraordinary CEO. You've partnered with some of the biggest, if not the biggest companies in the world. We have a lot of entrepreneurs and startup founders that watch the show and engage with Ray and I. What advice do you have to CEOs of startups uh, that are really trying to achieve the same success as you and your company? What, what's, what's some advice you can share with them? I really try not to give people advice because if I had listened to all advice that I got, <laughs> I would not be here. <laughs> That's the first one. Don't listen That's the to first advice. advice. Don't listen to anyone else's advice. <laughs> I, I'm gonna, I'm, maybe I can just share what worked for me. I think that's, that's then it's a yeah, yeah, absolutely. absolutely. What worked for me is that I was really passionate about this space. I felt a calling. I want to be part of a, a team that makes this happen. And I'm quite aware of my strengths and my weaknesses. So I partnered with the, the best people 
uh, to could help me. Not only my brilliant and loving husband, uh, do you know there's this saying that behind a Every good. Uh, yeah, every strong man, there is something, you know, successful man, there's a strong woman. So behind me, there's this brilliant computer engineer. So that, that's a good start. Awesome. Build a good team, build a good team. And I got all these other people in my company who's helping me with everything that I'm really bad at. So I can talk you know, to you and I can drive visions and I can do some product design, but I can't even, I don't even know how to look at the legal agreement. I don't even, I can afford to have a page. We are, we are lucky here to have Stina Ernsvard, CEO and founder at Ubico. You can follow them at Ubico, all the new cool stuff that they're up to and uh, making us all safe and secure. Thanks a lot for being on the show. Thank you, you so much. You were terrific. Please come back. Thank you so Bye. much. Happy Friday. We are here on the cybersecurity authentication, the whole thing. And now we're going to go head on strong with these, you know, I think this thing called X-Force. Where are we headed? <laughs> yeah, you know, we, have, we had two obviously extraordinary CEOs that talked about their visionaries. They have successful companies. And this is our cleanup hitter spot. This is where we bring a guest and expectations as a grand slam. And we're happy to have <laughs> Chris Crummy, <laughs> executive director at IBM Security. My, this is my favorite type, X-Force Evangelism. And how, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Chris is uh, the uh, Worldwide Executive Director at IBM Security, X-Force Evangelism and Outreach. In terms of IBM Security Outreach, uh, Chris and his team provide a sense of what a cybersecurity culture looks like. We're going to talk about cybersecurity culture more. And, and, he, and he and his team educate customers on cyber best practices through first commercially built cyber range in Cambridge, Mass. Uh, Chris is joining us from Cambridge. And uh, we're gonna talk about the, the, the cyber range. It's pretty extraordinary. And you can see it behind Chris's background. Chris also leads a team of global executive security evangelists who are leading industry experts and provide keynote presentations and demonstrations. With over, um, it's close to 27 years of IBM experience, Chris is one of the most sought after keynote speaker at IBM. You can follow Chris on Twitter at C-C-R-U-M-M-E-Y. Chris, welcome to Disrupt TV. Thanks so much. Good to see hey. you guys, how are you? Welcome Hi. to the show. And yeah, uh, I guess you started when you were age 12, uh, those 20 some <laughs> years at IBM looked great. I was told to ask you before we talk about situational awareness and what you have to put into place to be proactive about cybersecurity, I'm supposed to ask you about pocket squares. What does that mean? Oh my goodness. <laughs> what? There we go. See, it's, right. They make fun of what they don't understand. It's okay. <laughs> I get it. I get it. I get it. <laughs> so you're live in the back, right? You're in the middle of the center. The cyber range is like the center of, you know, situational awareness. Give people an idea of what, what that is. Like what, what's that experience like when you walk into the center? So we, we want to do a couple things. First is we want to show you what great looks like. So think mm -hmm. about having 1,500 customers come through the cyber range in one year, and every single day we learn something new. That is a great best practice. That's a great idea. We're going to take that and put that right back into our program. So it's a cyber best practices laboratory because we're learning every single day how they're doing stuff, what they're doing, why they're doing it. So we, that's number one. Number two is we want them to train like they fight. Part of the problem, part of the problem is they're in the, in the cybersecurity world, there's a thing called the tabletop. 
and a tabletop is a way for people to sit, up, sit around the room and talk about a situation, but it misses all emotion or feeling or panic or other aspects. And that's why what makes us different than a tabletop. So what we do is we literally, I call it kind of cyber best practices meets a game of Clue meets a Disney roller coaster ride. And we kind of weave all those three things together. And we want to make a cyber incident feel 100% real. And you will find out exactly where their training gaps are. You'll find out exactly where their communication gaps are. Um, it really does expose where you are. Our first four injects into the situation have a 95% failure rate. Wow. Right? Wow. Every day is a day in an escape. It's, it's, a re it's an amazing way to see what's going on. And there's times where the faculty and I just stand back and watch the communication happen and 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 the arguments and the idea sharing and the updates of what's happening so we really want customers to look at a cyber response as a business response yeah. and not just a technical it response so right. that means that means the different divisions have to have the same language right. that means the different divisions need to actually have a have a fusion team strategy where they're co-located um, you know, is this person that we're dealing with in the middle of the story, are they a victim or are they an insider? Well, that's why you have HR here in the room. Let's ask them. Let's see if there's any clues over here. Okay, let's actually involve this situation. Okay, we've disclosed um, all these records out on the internet by accident. Uh, let's get legal involved. How much time do you have? Oh, wait a minute. It's Massachusetts versus California versus Connecticut. What do we do? So ultimately, we look at a cyber incident as we call left and right of boom. And most, most cyber ranges only focus on left of boom. All of the technical stuff, all those things that happen, we're the only ones that focus on both left and right of boom. How do you deal with the press? How do you deal with the investigations? How do you deal with everything after that moment or that boom happens? That is where a lot of damage is. Look at Equifax. Most of their damage is right of boom. It's not left of boom. Right. right. So I saw Cyber Range uh, first on today's show, and uh, it, it referenced, uh, you know, the thousands of customers that come through it. Um, you had an FBI Boston uh, official come in and talk to the folks in the Cyber Range. And uh, you had the head of uh, FBI Boston division talk about the types of cybersecurity attacks across all industries. Yep. You talked about a passport vault, multi-step authentication, avoiding sharing certain datas. Some of the scenario planning was, hey, you've attacked my connected devices and I'm stuck in an elevator. So it's no longer, it's a business continuity issue, not an IT specific issue. So 100%. this incredible harmony that has to exist across different lines of business while you're under attack. And you kind of see, it's funny, it's, you see the panic in people's faces yep. and you've created a narrative and you've brought such actors and, and individuals with real backgrounds into the mix where the folks who are there, I think, forget that this is not really happening. <laughs> They're like in the moment, you could see the sense of urgency on people's faces. How did you, yeah. how did you create that? And, 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 and uh, it must be one of those scenarios where executives come in thinking they know a lot until they learn a little, and then they realize how much exposed they really are. Yes, it, it does expose the gaps. And so what ends up happening is they'll bring a run book, right? 
So we have customers that bring in a run book. We have customers that bring in 26 run books. We have customers that bring, a, they bring a pocket run book that's required to be with them at all times. We have yeah. customers that have wallet run books. So they will show you where they are in the maturity curve. And I, I totally agree. It's part crisis. It's part business continuity. It's part cyber all woven together. That's why it's, it's a business printed, response. Though. It's never here. It's always printed. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Um, and so the idea was we want to make it feel 100% real because that is where, when you get that flush of cortisol hit the back of your brain, that is, that is where you truly understand where your training is and where your gaps are. Um, and that, that's what we want to do. So what we end up doing is we take real cyber incidents we deconstruct them down into modules. And then you might go through one incident of the White House breach. You might go through a DDoS attack. You might go through the, the, uh, the, the Maersk ransomware. And so you literally will live through real situation. You don't know it, but we reveal that at the end that these are the things that you might be going through. So you go through all these things. And we want to see these run books, these these pieces of paper that they have, they're an eight or a nine in quality, but when you put the pressure on them, it's about a three. Wow. That is my, that's one of my greatest aha moments in the range is uh, when you put the pressure on it. Like I'll give you an example. We're in the middle of a scenario and people are starting to get a little antsy. I got people that are shaking. I, there's sometimes a couple of, uh, of F-bombs dropped in the, in the room. Um, there's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of uh, craziness going on there. And they go, well, I would call Jim right now. And I go, okay, call him. Oh, well, I, I, don't, I don't have Jim's number. Oh, okay. Uh, and then the guy goes, Jim left two weeks ago. He no longer works at the company. I said, okay. So it's, it's one of these things like, how do, I get, how do I get all the way down to the detail of that name and number? And you have a phone tree of backups after backups so that if Jim is on an airplane or, or on vacation, you have this. You don't want to hold up the entire investigation or the response yeah. because you don't have the right number. So a lot of customers learn how much they can do ahead of time before they're in the middle of the incident. So writing holding statements, yeah. writing out legally approved content, writing out your stakeholders map. So you know, if, I, if something goes down, what do I have to provide for the phone centers? What do I have to provide for our top 10 customers? What do I have to provide for executives? All that can be pre-created, pre-done, one for an active shooter, one for a hurricane, one for DDoS attack, one for, for a data breach. It's all pre-created ahead of time. And now you're executing the crisis. Wow. You've said that, the, you know, looking at 1,500 customers coming through a year and doing this for all this time, you've able to consolidate some five big learnings. You yes. said culture matters. You said silo thinking and behavior. You think run books crack under pressure, like you said. Yep. Leadership matters, and lastly, need to train like you fight, which is what you said at the beginning. Yep. Of all of these key five findings, is culture the most important thing in terms of readiness to fight I, a good fight? I think that culture is so fundamental to cybersecurity. So I ask, what, is, what does culture mean? And I, and I get a lot of people saying, well, it means you know, people are, off, are all on the same you know, a hymn sheet. They're all reading off the same stuff. I'm like, okay. And I go, I'm going to argue with you that I think culture is 100% about feel. How does, a, how does an employee feel? Dr. Maya Angelou says, people don't remember what you say. <laughs> they don't remember what you do, but they always remember how you made you feel. So your biggest security issue is the human being and the employees doing stupid stuff or not executing on certain aspects. 
So driving a culture of accountability of how they feel. Um, you might have seen uh, in yesterday's news that IBM has announced a no USB policy in all of IBM. No wow. USB, yeah, no USB sticks or thumb drives allowed in IBM. It is a, a huge attack vector the bad sure. guys use, especially sure. if you put if you put a little little label on it that says payroll, right? <laughs> <laughs> they can't help themselves but to. to okay, to Bluetooth that. downloads. Bluetooth downloads. Right. Okay. Right. So so. I think culture is the way the executives need to wrap a bow around training and awareness and accountability. But what I found really interesting is I, the first responders, the military and the law enforcement are the ones that do the best in the range because they are, they are taught to go towards the boom because they know how to handle a crisis because they have training cultures already. They train like they fight, right? Think about all the they right. The ones that do the worst are sure. MB. <laughs> so because because they want to build a PowerPoint, they want to have a meeting, they want to schedule consensus, and that's not how this works when in the middle of a crisis. So let's all get together and oh, just kidding. Um, so <laughs> so you know a lot of what you guys talk about too is is. Um, this, this is actually walking people through that crisis situation, but a lot of what you do is really before that crisis occurs, even preventing the crisis from ever happening. Mm -hmm. And I think there's a concept of really applying public health models to cybersecurity, thinking about immunity. Um, how do you guys right. incorporate that? Because I know you guys spent a lot of time talking about that. A lot of our clients have gone through that process with you guys. Share right. with them like why, why those epidemiological models or a public health type of model works um, to help prevent these kind of issues from happening. Yeah, so we look at we look at a cyber um, strategy as an immune system. All the different parts working together: the identities, the authentications, the firewalls. All of these small entities acting uh, together in unison to fight the bad guys, if you will. Um, and so, think about it. In a in a health world, all you have to do is wash your hands. You know, good cyber hygiene, and eighty percent of your issues go away. Which means, okay, employees, stop using the same password for your Gmail account as you do for these other things, because all I have to do is crack that Gmail account. And, I'm, and I know through social engineering, you're probably reusing that same uh, password again. So Shh, it's, don't tell anybody. Don't tell, don't anybody. tell anyone. Don't tell anybody. Um, so <laughs> it's, it's, it's understanding things like don't do USB sticks and, and deal with your passwords better and, and don't reuse stuff and don't click on things that don't make sense and, and just use the hygiene. If you looked at the IBM announcement of the amount of data breaches and records lost in 2017 over 3 billion records were lost two of the three yeah two of the 3 billion were due to misconfiguration wow. meaning the wow. admin did not change the standard username password uh, things like rsync and uh, mm -hmm. aws buckets and simple database uh, stuff i mean a lot if, if you had checks and balances and hygiene and training and and, and accountability uh, and you washed your hands like you normally do, that hygiene will lead to, lead to a healthier security model, if you will. Wow. As CEOs are being fired for this stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, the Equifax, the CEO of Equifax said it came down to one guy that didn't do his job, that didn't patch this one vulnerability, and oh, that's yeah. why it happened. Same with Sony Pictures, too, with that hack. Yep. So, yeah. Yep. Yep. So as, as, as network infrastructures adopt software-defined networking and network function virtualization, as enterprise apps are more and more powered by machine learning and 
you have automated workflows and interdependencies and significant on-premise and cloud integrations. It, and of course, all the connected things for every one of these, there'll be 10 things that are connected to the internet. And, and, and so, I mean, as you create the narrative at the range, do you see a significant degree of uh, complexity and sophistication in terms of the scenarios that you plan for and build and introduce to the 1500 customers as compared to maybe five years ago? 100%. Yeah, okay. Yeah, 100%. It, yeah. It, in a lot of ways, we do our best to replicate the complexity of what's happening out there. That's really hard to do live. Sure, sure. That's sure. really, really hard to do live. Yeah. I mean, this is a Fortune Fortune 100 company. I'm, I'm running a live environment here with a live network, with live servers, everything's live. Um, but to then flip a switch, so what we try and do is we'll, we'll have one, like think of this as a movie theater. And yeah. we, play, we play five major movies here. We play a student <laughs> challenge for students. We play a, a response challenge for executives. We play a war game for SOC, uh, security operations center folks. We play a capture the flag for your network and technical guys. I love that. Um, and then we play, which is the most interesting one is we play the red escape, which you actually become a hacker. <laughs> so you literally become a hacker and we walk you through this. The, we walk you through live Wi-Fi hacking through a pineapple in the room. And we show you how easy that your phone just de-authenticated and now you think you're on go Wi-Fi uh, but you're actually on mine in the, in the range. And the executive's eyes are like, oh my goodness, I, I did not know it was that easy, right? And so there's a lot of education that goes on in the range, just yeah. educating them on certain things. Um, and so where we want to not necessarily focus too much on the plumbing, we're yeah. focusing on the leadership side, on the person side, on the training side of yeah. stuff, because that can be handled uh, in parallel to what you guys are doing underneath. And do people come back after the learning just to see whether they're, uh, you know, staying uh, with, you know, with current best practices or considered best practices? Uh, yeah, we'll see a, a handful of things. We'll see um, someone that just comes into the range for a 30-minute tour. Because, like, I almost think of it as a trailer to the movie. They come yeah. in for the trailer and they, they're like, oh, my goodness, I'm so bringing my, my board back. So we had, we had a major airline. Uh, they came for a small visit. And when, when this CISO brought 40 people from 15 different departments and three board of directors members wow. in, into the range. And the board of directors members, it's one of my favorite moments. They're like, no, 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 we're, we're just going to observe from the back. And the second it got chaos and it went crazy, they were 100% in. They just <laughs> could not, they could not help themselves. They had to be a part of it, part of the experience. But yes, they want to come back and go, listen, you gave us some great ideas on how to write our runbook. You gave us some best practices that we have never heard of before. Um, we had one customer give us a best practice I love. They have an executive called the Chief Resiliency Officer. That's, right? That's awesome. Right? And awesome. their job is to be the quarterback of the crisis. And their job is to put all of the lessons learned back into their environment after they go through these crises. So that I've never really seen a quarterback level role like that um but so yeah so they're coming back to say hey you started with these best practices and our run book we want to put a full-blown test on it and so that's that's awesome. what they, they come back for is to really expose that run book i thought i had a cool title until you came on the show <laughs> x force evangelism and outreach forget it you win 
We are here with Chris Crummy. Thank you so much. Executive Director at IBM Security, X-Force Evangelism and Outreach. You can follow him on Twitter at C-C-R-U-M-M-E-Y. He's one of the master evangelists at IBM, top demoers for executive events and presentations, and more than that, just a stand-up guy. So, hey, thanks a lot for being on the show. Thanks for showing us. And, God, we got to get our butts over there, Vala. This Definitely. Is hey, I'm awesome. I got to get there. Yeah. Absolutely. All right. Chris. Thanks, guys. Appreciate thanks it. Thanks for being on the show. Happy Friday. You too. Thanks. Oh, what a, wow. does it, it sounds like he's having fun, right? I mean, sounds like he's having a great time. I mean, he's I mean, definitely a blast. At IBM, and the way he's explaining his work, it's just, you can see the joy, you know? That's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. It's nice to be able to educate executives on a very important topic and that's really no, but it's like it's like universal studios meets disneyland meets cyber cyber attack holy crap we are this large picture studio and a large credit agency oh, like all at once so that's amazing but that's anyways amazing. wow so we're taking a little bit of a break but next week we're doing something cool we're both at this we're doing the constellation healthcare transformation summit um, and we're going to have a little bit of break around memorial day but we are back june 1st episode 107 who do we have for episode 107? Yeah, we're taking a couple of weeks off, uh, but when we do come back, we have Amy O'Connor, who's the Chief Data Information Officer at Cloudera. Uh, we'll follow with Ravi Kumar, Deputy Chief Operations Officer at Infosys, and a repeat uh, visit with one of the top, uh, one of the brightest people we know, John Reed, co-founder of Diginomica. So really three super extraordinary guests, and. Um, you know, it's, it's our favorite, uh, favorite time of week for Ray and I is Disrupt TV. So apologies for taking the next two weeks, but we've got some important events that both of us are committed to. So we'll come back and start June with a bang uh, with these three guests. Hey, and we might have some sneak peeks from the Healthcare Transformation Summit that's going on next week at the Vidara. We've got 12 to 15 of the top healthcare systems, CIOs, CDOs, and operators really talking about the future of healthcare in this digital world. So, hey, thanks a lot, everyone, for being on the show. Save the date, October 22nd to 25th, Constellation's eighth annual Connected Enterprise at the Half Moon Bay Ritz. You'll start seeing all the registration forms there. And if you know someone that is doing something awesome that should be a Business Transformation 150 winner, um, take a look at it on our site. Um, look for folks that are awesome, that share, that are in the middle of doing transformations and not an a-hole. You've got a nomination <laughs> in place. And then the last piece is we're doing our Supernova Awards as well, trying to look for those folks that have done awesome transformation projects, really hiring teams and people that are making a difference. So, hey, everybody, it's Friday. Join us every week, 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern for Disrupt TV Show. Thanks, everyone. See you in a couple of weeks. Take care. Bye.